Hey listeners, we are back with another episode of Unverified Accounts. I'm your host, Chris, and here with the gang, Liza hey. and Philip. What's up, Philip? How you doing? And I don't even want to call her a guest because that, that, I think, underplays her role and <laughs> just, you know, our, our good friend, family practically, Jess. What's up, Jess? Hey, call, uh, calling in from California. So, so happy to be on you guys. I'm waving fiercely at my mic, Jess. Hello. Welcome. I'm waving back at you guys. I miss you so much. <laughs> miss you too. We, we all go back a long ways. Yes. Yeah. Uh, from Plan A, which was yeah. really born out of the Trump election. So mm-hmm. this is a milestone, the Trump de-election. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's kind of a milestone for us. And we're all checking in. So we are about uh, 24 hours removed from everyone calling it for Biden. Uh, where we were, uh, I'm in New York City, and I'm sure everywhere you guys were, celebrations going on the streets. What, what were your reactions? Uh, why don't we start with you, Liza? I don't under, I don't think, I don't think people understand that if you are anti-Biden, it doesn't automatically make you pro-Trump. But I, I think that I think that people don't understand what like. I, I think that people just can't understand that like big money is bad or like imperialism is bad. Like they've been so conditioned to only hear fascism, fascism, fascism for four years. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, Jess, what was it like where you were, and what were your feelings? Uh, so I'm in LA. Um, I don't. It's been a roller coaster of a week. It's not like it ha- It's not like it happened on one day and then we got the results. It was. It was a long, drawn out like four days, basically. Like we found out yesterday, right? So Saturday, and the election was on Tuesday. Uh, uh, California always get. I mean, we, we're on the West Coast, so we always uh, see. We always get. Uh, we always find out really late into the night. So Tuesday night, um, I was hanging out and watching TV, watching the news, um, and it seemed like Tuesday night it really seemed like Trump was going to win. Uh, when I when I finally turned it off and decided to like okay call it and then and then uh, and then turn in, it looked like Biden had a strong lead, like a like. An un, like an unbridgeably um, strong lead. So it was almost assuredly done. So I remember thinking like, okay, all right, four more years of Trump. Okay, cool. I can, okay, all right. The crazy bronzer, <laughs> the mismatched hands waving. Okay, okay, just, just prepare. You've gotten used to it. It's just more of the same, right? Like it's not that, it's not that disturbing. You, you can, you can survive, you think. It, it's like, uh, it's like, I, I, I have, fit, I have Trump fatigue. <laughs> um, but if it's gonna, if it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. So, okay. All right. Just, I just kind of like made peace with it and went, uh, went to bed. Uh, and then I woke up the next morning and saw Biden in like in the tentative lead, like a very lightly tinted blue. Right. It's um, because Wisconsin flipped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then started seeing like, Oh, holy crap. Can you, can this, uh, can this guy like actually do it? And I, I and I remember feeling like sinking feeling in my stomach. Um, so it was like, like, well, why was I that though? Was it? Cause it's like, Oh, this is not that much. I don't feel better. Is it just cause you didn't feel I like, don't feel better. I hmm. did not feel better. Uh, and in some ways I can see the downsides of, uh, I mean, the downsides of a Biden presidency are, are very, very clear. I don't think they were giving mm-hmm. any, given anything close to their due, uh, attention. Like for one thing, people are openly saying it's Obama's third term. So, Mm-hmm. We already have mm-hmm. that. Tra- we have those eight, the track record of those eight years already on the book. Yeah, if you are radicalized under Obama, this is like very difficult for you to hear. Mm-hmm. You know what I think the problem is, and it's the, the scariest part about the whole thing is that when we were under Trump, we knew exa- everyone knew exactly what we were fighting, right? And under mm-hmm. Biden, mm-hmm. it's like you have to start all over again because people don't think that they're fighting anything. It's going to take it's going to take a few more years again to have to convince people like, hey, guys, this was never the answer. Like, this is like the worst person to replace Trump because now we're going to get a worse Trump. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think the silver lining, though, is uh, now it'll be a little easier to sort out who are your true allies, because I mean, one of the problems with the whole resistance thing is that the bar of entry of, of being a so-called like resistor was so low that you had people like David Frum in it. But now uh, it'll be easier to seek out, you know, friend from foe. And I think of people like, you know, myself, who, you know, four years ago would have been firmly within that whole resistance mindset. But I'm not going back to that. And I hope that there are more people out there 
like that. I I assume most people will probably try to go back to the way it was, but I think either after a little while they'll realize it's it's not, and then there'll be plenty of people who will not even start going down there. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be it's gonna be really hard um, because there's a whole machine. It's not even public opinion. Public opinion and like the media machine, uh, social media. Now we've seen a lot of partisanship directly from social media. Um, this is how and this is how people talk to each other now. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to see a lot of roadblocks to good communication that increases awareness or even just allows dissenting opinions to propagate. Yeah, I, I, like Chris or Liza, which one of you guys like share this Vox article? Um, we should share in the, in the notes. Uh, where they basically made Biden come off as like a messiah. They are <laughs> so, so no, messianic about no, him No, I, I got to talk about the article right now. Dude, that was by Ezra Klein, and it was just this horrible attempt, horribly uh, transparent attempt to uh, retroactively paint Biden's campaign as some kind of like brilliant strategy. Like, what the funniest line was, oh, he, ado- he realized that politics was less about the individual, so he like receded into the background as if he had any other choice. He could barely string like, five minutes worth of a speech together and now they're gonna they're trying to make this into oh we, we had a plan all along when reality is they're running against the coronavirus and that's what <laughs> saved their ass if you look at the margins in a lot of the states that biden won they're razor thin they're about the same that trump won over hillary which we all kind of see as, as a fluke so this coalition will not right the up. truth was that he was just completely incapable of coming out and campaigning right yeah, and, and now they're saying, oh, this this is a victory over traditional politics, over, <laughs> you know, whatever, like online organization, you know, all the stuff that they hate because it threatens their livelihoods. But again, uh, you were running against COVID and you barely won. <laughs> I think that resistance takes on a new meaning now because I really think that like all the people that were resisting Trump, you know, that was where the name came from. Um now it's they're like they're a bunch today. They're they're back to just living their normal fucking lives. It's grilling. Well, I feel like no. what they're resisting now isn't um, right wingers. They're going to be resisting progressives, like actual progressives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. who they're yep. resisting. The people like there's yeah. like this feeling in the country that we're like now with Biden, you know, all the rhetoric that he's saying, like reach across the aisle and like he's hiring all these Republicans to be in his cabinet. The message that's getting sent out is like the country is somehow going to become so unified that we're all going to move like towards whatever they want to move us toward together. And it's the people who are resisting Biden. Like those are the reactionaries. Now you just people who will not participate in this like whole, like Kumbaya, let's hold hands across America thing. Yesterday, there was a whole ton of these uh, videos on Twitter and everywhere of just like, you know, people filming the New York City skyline, everyone banging pots like it's COVID, but more important, you know, <laughs> um, and cheering, right? And so I had I had a couple of reactions to that. First of all, my reaction was like, I feel like New York City is one of the least materially affected places by Trump in the sense that like, you're, you know, you're upset for four years, but your life didn't really change that much. Like you're in a solidly blue area, very progressive. You know, there's some like, you know, there's been some, out, uh, some, um, uh, lashing out from folks at people of color, especially towards Asian people during COVID. But generally speaking, like, you know, it's not it's not a huge friggin' deal in New York. I'm not interested in how New Yorkers are reacting to this. I'm actually kind of interested in like, I would love to see, you know, these probably don't exist anywhere, but like videos of how people on the alt-right are reacting to the announcement. And and the Proud Boys, like, are they deflated or are they going to be enraged? What what happened? What did they do? They were like, were they like? Uh, there was a lot. That they um, they were showing like one scuffle. Yeah, oh, Philip, like, uh, like, I forgot to ask you uh, uh, just quickly. Uh, sorry, Jess, but Philip, what was it like in Toronto, like in a non-American city? How were people reacting? So, like, there was there wasn't any uh, outward cheering that was happening at ten o'clock or eleven, whatever CNN called it. Um, I was around the city a bunch because I, I went on a little bike date with my wife, and um, we, you know, people were out, people were looked, like the the mood was was definitely up, but I couldn't tell if the mood was up because of like Biden, um, you know, winning, uh, Trump losing, or if it was just because we had good weather after. It was like summer it yesterday. It was like warm, 75 like and sunny yesterday. It was pretty, yeah, it was pretty yeah. hot. But the, but the, the park I was at was pretty, pretty packed. Again, not sure if it's weather or Biden, but it was <laughs> packed and there was like all this live music happening, people dancing and stuff. And so it, it was really hard to tell, but there wasn't any cheering at like 11 or whenever, you know, it was announced. So. Was it a tandem bike you were riding? 
<laughs> I've actually I've actually joked about buying one when this uh, tandem bike shop is going out of business in Toronto, but no, unfortunately not. No. Okay. Hey, Jess, um, you were saying before? Uh, I mean, no, it's good to it's, yeah. I was actually really curious to hear what it would be like in Canada. Uh, not a, a not American city yet. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> we have a, we have a really bloodthirsty administration coming in. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't rest so easy there. Um, Revenge so, for the War of eighteen twelve. Sort of, I guess. Yeah, but but you know what? Like, I actually had a friend, um, and uh, a Canadian friend who moved to New York City to work for, uh, for a while in tech, and then she actually, after Trump was elected, she actually left and came back to Toronto, um, yeah. and and convinced her Brooklyn boyfriend to move to Canada and marry her and everything. Um, and so I kind of want to ask her, like, are you so are you you guys like willing to move back to the states now? Like, you know, because for her it was it was uh, two things, like Trump won right being in charge of the country and two like the the fact that she could not um vote and was paying all this you know all these taxes right because she had a high paying uh a tech job um felt wrong to her and she she actually moved out on that principle so i kind of wonder if people flip-flopped on you know the whole move to canada move back to canada <laughs> thing that always comes up every election you know yeah well, well america's a disease cesspool right now that that has to be another factor <laughs> I just, no, that, I that just love how, like, these nominally, like, anti-racist, um, uh, liberal sen- people with liberal sensibilities, whenever something like this happens, they're always like, I'm going to move to Canada. Yeah. And it's like, like, do you know that Mexico is closer to you? <laughs> it's also warmer. Better food, too. Like, Better food, it's, too. So, so, what, so it's, it's, it just never stri- it just never fails to make me well, trouble. Well, even when like, they want to go someplace far away, the- they pick out like I want to move to New Zealand or Australia, and it's like you mm-hmm. skipped yeah. over like two Australia. continents on the way over there. It's like yo, yeah. you know, Australia's like way more racist, right? Like it's, yeah, <laughs> but not to them. No, yeah, because they're because they're usually white. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a, it's this kind of blind it's it's kind of this blind uh, blind acceptance of quote the way the world works. Right, and just mm-hmm. saying that this is this is this doesn't substantively disrupt the norm, but it just means it's uncouth. It's just embarrassing now. So it's really yeah. just a matter of aesthetics. Yeah. Plus, it's also entirely self-centered. You're not actually solving anything. Uh, no. If you are the so-called like brave warrior that you are, you should stay. You are actually depleting yeah. from your side by leaving. But mm-hmm. I, I think this is perfectly encapsulated by one of the worst tweets I've ever seen, and I, I put it on my Twitter last night. You know that dog meme where it's like everything's on fire and it goes like, this is fine? Yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, I don't know if someone photoshopped it or the original uh, cartoonist changed it, but now it's a dog where the room is, there's no fire. And then uh, the dog says, this is fine. Everyone's like, I'm crying. You know, this is like, uh, like it, it just, I don't, I don't even have to explain it. Um, I'm sure listeners are, are smart enough to and informed enough to realize why those fucking fires are still around. Our but- listeners are smart enough, definitely. <laughs> I saw it as the triumph of uh, I saw it as the triumph of the coastal elite. Honestly, I do too. Um, This is what's so painful for me. Yeah. So you know they tried to launder it by saying like, oh, we're we're actually campaigning on a platform of anti-racism or social progressive issues, right? That's how they that's how it was pitched to us, right? If you vote Biden, Mm -hmm. it's a vote against racism, against structural Mm -hmm. inequality, uh, all of that. Um, it, it actually wasn't. I mean, this is how, this is how the fact that he's the architect of the 94 crime bill, one of the most punitive, um, uh, crime measures ever undertaken in the country. And mind you, this is a country that had had legal slaves for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, we completely glossed over that. And we still got fed the message that this is somehow a vote for, for the racial justice for all of that. This but is what I'm talking like, about. It actually wasn't. Like, when I post this stuff to people, when I say things like that on my social media, they don't want to listen to it. They'd rather just unfollow me than listen to it. Yeah. I mean, so, it's, it's, so how do you score Or they'll that? DM me and say, so you're pro-Trump. And I'm like, did you hear what I God, said? Because so nice. Trump is not... <laughs> He's not against so this, this stuff. So this is an issue of class. I saw, I saw a lot of, like, uh, I'm, I'm really feeling sad. Like, a lot of my friends, you know, turned out to support Biden. Really, you know, really happy about that. But it's hard to ignore the definite issues of class that are embedded in that feeling of victory. First thing is, uh, so Biden won, but he won by basically like a 50.1% uh, victory, <laughs> basically, of the popular vote. Mm-hmm. 
this means that half the country voted for the other guy. Yeah. But you mm-hmm. raise that during the coronavirus. The during the coronavirus. So so okay. Even take taking them at their rhetoric, right? This is a this is a buffoon of a fat baby fascist uh, who is out to destroy uh, America and destroy the world. Your guy still only squeaked out by what four million votes out of a hundred million. That's that's really this. So this is so to me. There's an element of like bragging that you beat up a child and stole his candy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. And, and in 2024, it'll be like Mr. Burns trying to steal candy from a baby, but failing at that too. I can't believe yeah, that so, I'm saying <laughs> this now, four years later. But I actually have like more empathy for people that went Trump than I do Biden. Why is that? <laughs> Because yeah, there is just a smugness and there is just like, there is, there is this, um, complete like self-righteousness and like, mo- like, a moral superiority that comes from like a Biden voter. And no matter what you tell them, you say like, I didn't vote. And they just point the finger at you. Like you must be a Trump supporter or like, you know, you, you must be, they just, they are uh, part like, of the problem. What? Like you're part of the problem, right. that that kind right. of rhetoric, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, just to finish uh, finish the point, then, um, like one one is that that sense of like crushing victory, the mandate of heaven, basically that Biden that they're <laughs> attributing to Biden. It wasn't in one of the worst periods with the trashed economy, uh, a pandemic circulating around, just complete social, just well, I won't say complete, but like rapidly unraveling um so uh, social fabric here your uh, your guy technically squeaked out by like your tech your guy technically squeaked out by like fractions of a percentage point so i don't think this is a crushing mandate and it's time to and it should be time to look seriously at how your how how did we not know for four freaking days who won if it's that obvious that this is fascism on the rise and even like suicidal fascism if they're going to continue doing like mail-in voting and early voting like this and then not allow it to be counted until the day of i think that moving forward for elections they need to not say like you're going to know the night of i think that they should have just said like ahead of time you're not going to know till like next week or you're not going to know till the weekend Right, right. And with these like instant results, uh, I do marvel at what it must have been like 60 years ago where people voted. They probably didn't know for days. Yeah. It, they would find out by the newspaper, mm-hmm. oh, this guy, the other guy won. And people would have just been like, oh, okay, I guess I guess, I just got to trust everyone. Nothing you can do about it, right. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I think yeah. that moving forward, they have to just say, like, prepare the country ahead of time. Like, this is just the new, like, you just, we're not going to know the, day, the night of. So, like, don't even, just go ahead and vote and then just go to bed. <laughs> yeah, but they're not going to do that because that's going to be bad for ratings. Like, yeah. see, watching CNN, it feels like you're watching an action movie on Oh, election it's like night. a boxing match. Yeah. Dun, 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 you know, that all that music. Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah, they, 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 like, they sit there and they narrate the whole thing. Like, what Biden needs to do is he needs to get in there and he needs to, like, you know, as if he can control, as if the, um, as if the, uh, the anchorman can, the broadcaster can control, like, how the votes are going to be counted and what the results are going to be. Like, you can change them. Yeah. I mean, they commentated like a sports match. I thought yeah, I don't they normally do. watch cable news, um, so I just turned on one of the channels. I was like surfing through all the channels, and they just have these like coked out like sports announcers. <laughs> like, I don't know, they stepped onto the political desk, you know, with those giant touch screens, and they're like, "Okay, yeah. here in Akron, Ohio, back in 2016, it splits with Clinton, but we're seeing we're still now we've got to show that Trump could upset this back in 20, back in like 1932. Funny fact: Herbert Hoover won by five votes." Or, yeah, like, they use like, all kinds what? of sports analogies. Like, oh, Trump is really against the ropes now. <laughs> it's like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> and do, then, you, like, do you think they're going to like have to lay off a whole bunch of people now that this is over? Like, their ratings are going to plummet, right? Like, no one's going to really pay attention to. You know what I'm <laughs> seeing a lot of? I, I, I like. I, I'm seeing a lot more mention of Kamala than I am Biden. And then I found mm-hmm. out this morning that. Um, uh, Joanne Reed on MSNBC just announced her new podcast, and it's called Oh God! It's called Introducing Kamala um, Next, in, Next line. in Line. Yeah, they're not yeah, even trying yeah. to hide it anymore. You know? <laughs> yeah, that, How that rude, was man. That, that Joe fucking, still alive. That man's still alive. That I was watching the NBC um, stream on election night, and that the ad for that 
uh, podcast came on mm-hmm. every ad segment, sometimes twice in the same ad segment. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. driving me crazy. Here's the uh, here's the synopsis that if you go to the website, this is what they give you. Um, already a rising leader in the Democratic Party, Harris would be the most significant player to help Biden manage a country in crisis and a front runner, a front runner to lead the ticket in 2024 should Biden not seek re-election. They're already telling us what the game plan is. <laughs> yeah, we got Biden fished. Um, Mindy Kaling had this tweet where she she had her her baby and she's like, look look at Kamala, uh, she looks like us. And I'm like, oh my god! Can this people is- stop with the whole like using their kids for like clickbait tweets? You know, like yes. today I told my three year old daughter that we finally have a woman of color as the first vice president, and she said to me, and then it's like something that like you know that the kid definitely did not say. Yeah. yeah. Someone call the child protection agency. This is child abuse. <laughs> it's it's like they are um they are uh it's like a different kind of woke fishing, you know, like woke parenting but through the kids. My kids yeah. said this. Therefore, I'm such a woke parent, you know? It's kind of a it's kind of a double like a two-part brag. Yeah, it is. I mean, if you're if the parent of a child and they're always young children, they never say like, "Oh, my fourteen-year-old." <laughs> it's always like because that fourteen is probably on TikTok young. saying like the N word and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's saying like, "Look at me, how great my morals are, my right. values are," mm-hmm. and I was able to project them into my child and my Pass child them on to so the next generation. Yeah, I'm such yeah. a woke yeah. parent so that I raise such woke children. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I- just nope. Liza, you, I mean, you have you have Asian kids. I, I'm kind of wondering, what are you going to tell them about Kamala? The fact that she's the first South Asian VP, blah blah blah. Like, is that relevant at all in, in the way you talk to your kids about how the world works? No, <laughs> <laughs> just straight no. Yeah, <laughs> they got plenty of time to deal. <laughs> no explanation, just now, nah. Okay, so I, I think talking about Kamala and her like whole identity is a good way to get into the, the meat of the, the topic we want to talk about today, which is after. The results of this election, especially with the exit polls showing Trump's increased support among minorities and women, uh, despite all the a- allegations, uh, most of it true, that he is racist and sexist. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been a lot of people saying this signals the end of identity politics. So I, I that, wish, that is a w- I wish, but I, I think that they're wrong. Uh, yeah, but I, I think they're also true in the sense that uh, someone like us, uh, or at least well, me, yeah, who, to us, it's, you know, it's dead. It's been dead for a while. Right. But I think that there's like a, um, I think that there's going to be like a new kind of wokeness because I'm noticing that woke is becoming used as a pejorative for reactionaries like us. We're considered reactionaries mm-hmm. now. Let's just get used to it. But like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm literally seeing people. Um, somebody DM'd me before. Uh, it was from an, anon- an anonymous account because when I went to it, I couldn't like. I couldn't see who it was, but somebody was just like, don't be so woke that you have to insult like a black woman who's about to become the first woman, uh, woman of color and the first woman like vice president, like don't be so woke. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm the one that's being, I'm the one that's being accused of like wokeness now. Okay. For criticizing a woman of color. And that's, that's too woke. When they okay. say that, they they're also like conceding that they understand that the new. If, if we're taking the term wokeness like at face value for what it means, like you are aware of like some shit going down and you speak out about it, then they're kind of aware that like of her her problems. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. But they're saying like don't ruin, don't ruin this. Yeah, yeah. Of course. But they're like don't ruin this right now. This is an important moment. Don't ruin this right now. Don't start you know cr- cr- like holding people to account. Is essentially what they're saying. Right. And that's um, the bullshit because they will be so stringent on everybody else. Uh, Philip, you and I had a uh, slight disagreement, uh, I don't know, maybe last week. In, in the case where there was like this Canadian hockey player who was uh, dropped by the team who drafted him. I, mean, I think mm-hmm. this was just the minor leagues, not the NHL. Mm-hmm. Because when he was like 15, he, was, he bullied some uh, developmentally challenged black kid in his class. Obviously, terrible thing to do. He should say sorry and everything. But he was dropped by his team. I mean, potentially that's a career ending uh, for an athlete who's pretty much has devoted his entire life to that thing. And these same people will be like, oh, you know, that that guy got what he deserved. You, you, when you're 15, you're an adult, uh, you know, no, red, you're not. red uh, shame you're not. badge for life. 
But now Kamala Harris, they're gonna be like, uh, she's on a journey, guys. You know, uh, she, she had to do things when because she was like, I uh, came out from like certain circumstances. So it's a double standard, which uh, for me the most has been this brand of identity politics. I don't want to say like small I identity politics. The whole concept of who you are informs your views. I, I think obviously that's true. Uh, for everyone. But this capital I institutionalized branded identity politics is so hypocritical, so just nakedly uh, devoted to people's self-interest at the top, whoever's running the show, that I think more and more people are calling bullshit on it, both on the left and right. Not enough, though. Not enough. Because the mainstream narratives still really, really like value this. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of money to be made. Um, I think the analysis, no analysis of this can end without analyzing how much money there is in this. So of course, if there is this much money, clout, um, whatever social capital we, we derive from this, as long as there's so much of it, there's always going to be people incentivized to maximize on that. Mm-hmm. And I what, think what do you mean, Jesse? You, can you break down what you mean by that? Like, are you talking about like selling Kamala t-shirts or are you talking about like, what, <laughs> well, we what wish exact, it was that small like, potatoes. Where, where is the money being funneled around that you're, you're talking about here? Um, I think like, like, okay, like the post, like in the, in the post George Floyd, protest uh, yeah. era um, like I was reading all these stories about how you know major movie studios um, distribution oh, yeah. companies yeah. they were all rushing to ally with uh, to partner up with a black uh, creator um, right. I, I knew that in like um Briannacon, they had Briannacon, like they're, oh, they're, they're doing all these fucking, like, conventions where obviously the speakers are paid like you know five to six figures to talk and yeah. you know really basing it all around this tragedy it's kind of insane yeah yeah i mean angela davis who uh, you know um uh, i don't know if she was a black panther herself but uh definitely was involved in you know black progressive uh action mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s um and is held up as a major figure i i like her work honestly uh i think it's very cultured but i saw that her speaking fee um was eighty thousand dollars per appearance wow and it probably yeah. went up in the post George Floyd mm-hmm. era. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone knows a lot her of name people now. had a big um, jump. Well, I mean, like in the you know when when the Black Lives Matter movement first started back in like 2015, you saw people come out of nowhere. Like a lot of these people that we see in mainstream media, like Joanne Reed or like Duray of the Pod Save America series. Like they, they really capitalized on that whole movement. And now look at them. Now here they are. Like, you know, they, they consider themselves pioneers of the Black Lives Matter movement from 2015. And here they are like campaigning. Uh, they're practically like bundlers for the Democrat Party, for people like Kamala. Wait, but if, that, if, if that's yeah. true, wouldn't they be more relevant if Trump had won and there's still a big kind of, you know. Well, that's the big question, right? For- yeah, that is. I think yeah. it's. I think it it would depend on what size uh, you are, like how much notoriety, how much money is in your your war chest. So, like, if you're already mm-hmm. on like a primetime show on MSNBC, like Joanne Reed, you're probably yeah, going to you stay relevant because now you're just yeah, going to you camp in. You're just going to ride the Kamala wave. That's right. You can pivot that into some other enterprise that will make you cash mm-hmm. just because you're already kind of like up there in the echelon of right. Instead people, of talking right? about how bad Trump is, Joanne Reed is already, you know, she's got that new podcast. It's going to debut soon called, right. uh, you know, Kamala Next in Line or has it already mm-hmm. debuted? I'm not oh, sure. So, uh, speaking of double standards, another great example is Joanne Reed uh, was caught well, I guess uh, not caught because she was making the public. She used to have a blog, I think, over 10 years ago. And she said some very like homophobic things. But of course, I, th- I think her explanation was like, oh, I got hacked, which, you know, obviously makes no <laughs> sense. But obviously hmm. her her supporters totally forgave her, whereas they would never, ever do that for anyone outside their circle for anything even like one tenth as bad as that. Yeah. So, so they're total hypocrites. Yeah, it's it's um, it, yeah. it really does bother me that some people are forgiven and some people are allowed to move on to move on, and then others, it's like no, like that one tiny incident that you did years and years ago when you were like fifteen years old that defines you as a person forever. Right, and it's it's just like basically just cutting off their competition, usually for jobs or influence or visibility or anything like that. It's so just craven yeah i mean we need we i mean we're gonna need to have an understanding of how to handle that like especially uh like this past election is the first time that people born post 9-11 were eligible to vote in a presidential election mm-hmm. um right um 
what's significant about that is then these are people who are adults now who were born after the rise of uh, centralized social media. So these are, so we're, this is going to be like the first generation where everyone's entire life could be documented online. Everything mm-hmm. from baby pictures all the way on up to, you know, your the bad poem. Saying the N word on TikTok when you're 14. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The bad poem you wrote that girl you had a crush on. Who bad down Halloween costumes that can just ruin your career. Mm-hmm. Right. Cancel culture does exist. I, I am like, I do not agree with anyone that says that cancel culture isn't real because I think it's very, very real and has been for a while. And it's too hard to beat because now it's become like, now it's like they're using their, uh, their, their like policing language and their policing opinions and, uh, on behalf of the state. So like to fight it, you know, part of cancel culture is making sure that you don't even have the resources to fight it. And anyone that defends you, they get brought down too. Yeah. I thought an interesting case study for this actually happened over the summer. Uh, I don't know if you guys were following uh, this uh, this kid named Aaron Coleman. He was running for public office, actually. This is is what made it interesting and and kind of relevant. Uh, Did you guys guys see that at all? You and I talked about this, Jess. Yeah, I remember this. Uh, No, please, please elaborate. Um, so it's a, he's a kid. I think he's I think he's barely out of his twenties. <clears throat> uh, he was running as a Democrat in Kansas, I believe, is the state. Eliza, correct me if I'm. I, it's been a few months, so my memory of this is fuzzy. Lo- the long and short of it is, he was accused of sexual assault, very credibly accused of sexual assault, when he was like fourteen, like blackmailing a classmate for nude pictures <clears throat> at fourteen, and then um, and then. It, as that got that was raised as a potential point of concern in this campaign. Later on, in uh, further on in the campaign, someone accused him again very credibly of uh, outright physical assault, uh, sexual assault, um, just like a few years ago. So at like seventeen or eighteen. Um, so I thought I thought that was an interesting kind of conversation because I felt like people were starting to really critically think about this, uh, like. Uh, there was that there was that side um, there was that side that said, okay, well, he was a child when he did all this. At what point do we have to move? Even though it's distasteful, we have to move on. And then the second, uh, and then the, the ex, uh, that argument was expanded a little bit more and say, okay, but then he's barely not a child now. So how? So we're so. I felt like people were kind of kept coming to terms with an understanding that okay, the passage of time does have to factor in to how we evaluate somebody. Um, which is uh, a very small um, step forward from the from like the usual, which is they dig up, you know, like a, the usual test case would be like a comedian who gets mm-hmm, canceled mm-hmm. for a tweet he wrote like twelve years ago. <laughs> Kevin yeah. Hart. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the stakes are much higher. This is somebody who's running for public office uh, and it, you know, credibly accused of outright assault. So it's different. Uh, but the twist is that he was he was very young himself. So I feel like people were starting to kind of to kind of at least understand that there is a complicated question to be asked in that. Okay, can uh, I, can yeah, I try to get... take that? Can I try to take that and actually tie it back to the whole Biden, you know, end of ID uh, poll that stuff? Um, one one interesting thing I saw on Twitter yesterday amongst all the celebration was that uh, someone had shared this interview that Chuck Schumer did with. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Anand Jiragardaradis, you know, the guy who's like very anti-charity. He's forever going to be the guy who creeped me out uh, after this big (laughs) debate when he's like, he's basically like talking like, he's like breaking down. He's like, oh my God, you know, Chuck Schumer or Anand? 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 Oh, okay. Okay. He's crying? He's like, yeah, he's like, he's like the American father I never had or something. It was, it was bad. Mm, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, the, the, thing, issues. the thing is, okay, we, we just said all this shit about, you know, Kamala's a cop and like, you know, Biden's a segregationist, but they, they did all this stuff in the past. Okay. This is what Chuck Schumer said to Anand in his interview. He says that basically, just to paraphrase it, he says that he is going to, Chuck Schumer is going to argue for an FDR like first 100 days. He says they're going to focus on a big climate cha- uh, plan, uh, $15 minimum wage, an infrastructure bill that will always um, also employ people with prison records. And this is the, the maybe the big one is uh, executive order to cancel $50,000 of student debt. Hmm. Okay. So, so I, my reaction to that was 
okay, I don't, I don't know if like he can, you know, Kamala and Biden can pull off the other stuff. But if he is going to use an executive order and effectively wipe 50K from um, student debt, which I think Warren is backing, mm-hmm. that like, would you then applaud Biden and say, okay, he, he has shifted left and he should deserve applause for actually making progress? But see, that's not the central problem. The central problem is their double standard. Because remember what they did with Bernie and the so-called rape essay that he wrote, what, what, like back in the seventies? They like never stopped hounding him about that. So if if Biden can be forgiven for like the the crime bill, which actually had a monumental effect on the lives of millions of people, mm-hmm. but you know Bernie can't or or anybody on the outside can't be forgiven for something they did like three decades ago that slightly uh, offended some people. Then okay, that's, okay, that's okay, the fine. Just like, I, I get it's a double standard. Okay, I get it's a double standard. That that is shitty, right? That that fucks up with the the Oxford principle, right? Of uh, of double standards. <laughs> but uh, but but end of the day, if it does mean wiping fifty k of student debt, shouldn't we be applauding that? But that that's like, but then you're going to encourage that kind of behavior, right? So you you're basically saying that um, you, you know, the, the end justifies the means. So I mean, yeah, if you believe in that, then then I guess it does. But I don't. So. That, he, that, he case. Starts, that he starts there, to me, it has some, like, shoot him in the leg energy, honestly. Because <laughs> um, okay. it's, not, it's not really the, the, the like, it, that's the position you're going to start negotiating with, seriously. So, what, like, we're going to end up with, like, 5K of student debt um, erased, <laughs> if it succeeds at all, um, and, like, a coupon to Subway. Like, what's, that's seriously. Well, I, I, he doesn't want to call Amazon books. Like, yeah. yeah, you get a you get a gift card to Amazon for fifty thousand dollars <laughs> up to the um, max of your student debt. Yeah, that's right. Well, the way things are going, that could actually be the same thing as actual money. Yeah. Yeah. What were the other two um, policy planks? Uh, fifteen dollars minimum wage, which has to go through the Senate. I asked some folks about this, and like a big climate change bill, like you know the the partial Green New Deal, the Biden New Deal, or whatever. That actually which, makes no sense that he would just be talking about like fifty k of student debt. He should just start with just say remove all of it. In fact, throw in consumer debt on top of that. Mortgage relief, I think, relief, I think that's definitely that. just to not come off as a Bernie or a Warren or whatever. I think it's to not stray too left, right? Cap it somewhere. If he's able to push that through, I will, I, I will find that a win. Yes. Yeah, I think so, right? Like, look, we spent all the people on, this, on the left have spent all this time, last four years, talking about a whole bunch of issues. One huge issue is crippling American student debt. I'm a Canadian. I don't really understand it, but I've heard some pretty fucking bad stories. Mm-hmm. If he would wipe that off the plate, I think we should say that's, yeah, he did a good job. Like, he, that, that's yeah. one, okay, one thing, one thing, right? But, you know, that can still happen despite his, his and Kamala's terrible record. Can it not? It, it could. He won. By the laws of the land, Biden won. The same way in, back in 2016, we, we had to accept that Trump won, that a majority, by the rules we have set up and agreed to abide by, he is now president. Um, so he's president. He's going to be president in a couple of months. I am hoping he succeeds, right? I don't like the version of idealism that puts, uh, that puts purity or personality over material good. If he's able to make things better for people who need it this is a win and and i would respect him for that uh, right now i'm at the position where i don't think we so i think it's a uh, it's i resent having resent having to be in that headspace because i feel like we were sold a bad bill of goods that make it less likely that we are going to get that result we left people who were more willing and more capable of producing results we left them on the cold we completely cut them out, and now we're we're in this position where this this uh, this terrible candidate. Um, we just have to hope that he manages to do something that isn't totally bad. And the second part to that is the Obama year should have taught uh, more people that what you're being sold is not the complete bill of goods. So if he's able to push for, or at least, I think the push for for 15, the push for a climate bill. Uh, the push to remove some students will get him a lot of uh, a lot of goodwill, right? People are going to think he's fighting for them. What if what if we're laundering another war, right? What if that's the part that we're not told about that that's that's either the compromise or that's going to be the only end result that it's going to have like oh I tried to get you guys fifteen dollars, but what I did get you is a war with Iran or some shit, right? Then that's not such a win. But the the democratic machine, the media machine, I think, uh, and our weak spot is that we value that struggle so much more than the outcome. No, precisely. I, I think politics. Uh, I I think uh, I was talking mainly more about the non political 
thing where you know people like getting canceled for stuff they did in the past. I think politics is the one place where you can be like, okay, if if at if at the end of some like you know the, the day or the year or, or term, if people get net benefits, then whatever. Um, politics should be. I'm I'm becoming more increasingly um, believing in this. Should mainly just be about making people's lives better for the most number of people possible keep your emotions and symbolism out of it if it's nice if it happens to coincide with the benefits but i mean the reason why some things like the mindy kaling tweet is just so like gross now is that we had eight years of obama the ultimate uh feel-good story and that ultimately did not get anything anywhere um i actually think it was so much more damaging like i I would say like especially for millennials like us it was so damaging i mean the student loan crisis comes from his administration the reason that millennials are just like trapped in debt forever. Yeah, disastrous fiscal policy stemming from the 2008 crisis, um, where the Fed is just pumping money into the banks, not pumping it into the people, into the banks. On uh, the backs of the people, years, you know? On the backs of the people. So we're 12 years into that experiment. So millennials are the brokest generation with poor health outcomes. No path to retirement, no prospect for property ownership or anything or uh, much else besides living a life in debt service, living in increasingly uh, wage restricted area, high cost of living, but stagnant wage areas. This is this is all the legacy. Um, this is I'm not going to put it all at Obama's feet, but he, he threw gasoline on that fire with his disastrous response to uh, the 2008 meltdown. And Biden is inheriting something worse. Oh, and looking over, yeah. way worse. It's something. It's it's like ten times worse than uh, the banking crisis of two thousand eight. This is an all of society meltdown. Um, and the only people I've seen that he wants on on his advisory board or to make actually be able to make calls on this are people who are from the Obama administration who crafted that disaster of a policy to begin with. And you thought birthers were bad. Now you're going to have like mega nation who will not accept the results. And I, I was seeing posts about how, uh, you know, Biden presidency means America will become a Chinese colony and, and <laughs> Harris will pass a bill that says all uh, white men, the only sexual activity they get is like once a month jerking it off to OnlyFans. Like this is what we're dealing with here. 2020. Looking forward to the Chinese colony. <laughs> I was going to say that I see a lot of people either say that class reductionist, um, they use it as a pejorative or they try to... T- deny that they are class reductionists you know like they'll they'll like um preemptively say not to be a class reductionist but and i don't understand why it's such a bad thing to be one like why is class reductionist equated to like racism see i think that's that's the that's the danger of this particular election cycle and how the uh, george floyd protest got weaponized because i think this election was about class but they made it about race Right. And seeing the reaction from, you know, Biden liberals celebrating this win kind of makes that very clear to me. Um, like, like I said earlier, he Biden does not exactly have an overwhelming mandate. Fully half of the people in America still voted for Trump mm-hmm. and for whatever they believe Trump represented. And now we're here basically say, like I, I, I've seen this on Twitter. People I follow, people I like, who people identify as liberals basically saying that half the country no longer matters right now, as of right now. Mm hmm. Um, it's saying there, it's, it, it's, it's, I mean, uh, like Eliza, you and I were talking about the, that, that clip by Andrew Yang, who went on CNN yeah. to actually criticize the Democrats, um, for fighting mm-hmm. a cultural war rather than like, rather than, um, paying attention to things that matter, like policy. Yeah. And then he got, he got trashed on, on Twitter, but he got trashed in a very specific way. He got trashed by people who are saying he's racist for saying that. Right. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. It was like, why Why is it so bad to talk about, like, policy? Why is it that, like, you're a racist if you talk about policy? You're a racist if you say, okay, guys, let's, let's not talk about culture or emotions right now. Can we stick to, like, can we stick to money and, like, economics and policy? Why is that, like, you're a racist? It goes so it go it gets so like moralistic so fast. Yeah, and it's it's a total it's a total silencing basically um, by by saying and it, it actually makes no sense at all. He's based, Andrew Yang was basically saying if if Democrats had focused more on material needs 
instead of culture, like, like cultural dog whistling or values dog whistling, uh, he could have won by a much more significant, by a much, uh, higher margin. Hey, if you're a Democrat, why are you, why are you hating on someone who's trying to tell you how to win more? Mm-hmm. For one thing, mm-hmm. uh, saying like he's just racist. B, um, I fail to understand how an economic policy that also, also, well, I think I do understand. I think this is, this is the danger coming into the next four years. Uh, they're basically saying it's racist. Um, it's racist because he's proposing policies that could help these Trump uh, quote white voters. <laughs> That's like the most like, inclusive language, though, is to say Medicare for all, universal yeah. basic income. Bernie you know? got. Bernie took heat it's, in the last couple of days for the exact same thing. He's talking about okay. Suddenly, inclusive language class. is now racist language, right? Yeah, like all. Bernie explicitly said, "Working class, a worker in New York." Yeah, that famously... And he didn't say white, white right. He said working class. But for some reason, the identity politics people are just like, he's talking about white people. And it's like, no. Are we (laughs) just going to get more and more of this? Yes, I think we are. That's why I'm saying, like, I think that, like... I think that that Wall Street Journal article about how identity politics is dead, I think that that was, like, wishful thinking. I don't think it is. I think it's going to emerge even uglier than before. So it's, it's, it's saying like, so we've completely stalled on progress at that point then, because they're almost saying that, okay, if, if it, so what's the next line of attack then? Biden proposes something and they're like, oh, well, it also helps white voters. Well, f- fuck that racist bullshit. <laughs> uh, like it helps so Republicans. Like, it helps okay, the- fuck them. You're kind of saying fuck them. If you voted for Trump, fuck you. You have it coming. And I hope you, I hope you die in the next administration. I think it's that's that's literally the feel that I This get. is why I actually empathize with them and this is why like I understand why people become reactionaries. They run to the other side yeah. because they're just like you're telling me to go fuck off. Well fine I will. What do you expect yes, people on, to on, do? On ele- election night when uh when Florida like officially went red, I saw <sighs> tweets from I guess liberals that were like Oh, next time you guys have a hurricane, like don't expect us to give you any. Oh, any I saw that too. Same like, with like the Flint, Michigan like thing, oh. where they're just like, you don't deserve clean water because you guys. Oh, red. That, yeah, fuck. I was like, dude, mm. do you guys not remember what Obama did to Flint? Seriously, they do. Obama. They do, and they don't care because at this point they see it as righteous. They're just like, oh, Obama did that to Flint. Well, it's Flint went red, war. so fuck them. They don't deserve. They don't deserve clean yeah. water. You know, it's yeah. like if you voted yeah. for Trump or if you in any way just would not participate, even if, or if you're a non-voter, you know, like 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 me, for example, um, you're a non-voter. You must be a reactionary and therefore you do not deserve any kind of respect or material benefits or anything, anything positive that could like help your mm-hmm. life in any way. Like you, you will not buy into this, like Biden is the new Messiah and like Kamala is like, I don't know, like our princess of like wokeness and like on progress. If you, if you read the essay, Exiting the Vampire Castle by Mark Fisher, he says uh, Vampire Castle R. R. being defined as essentially the uh, like like the woke liberal crowd, like their main goal is to to hide their own privilege, which is why they don't want the, the class analysis, because if you do that, they will be exposed as the one at the top. And the only way they can maintain their, um, you know, veneer of victimhood, which is how they leverage all their power anyway, is to just keep talking about race and gender, uh, which is why when you talk about the working class, they always say, oh, you're only talking about the white people, because th- that's the only way you can, um, they can disguise what is essentially them looking down on those below them in social status as some kind of uh, racial progress. I actually do hope that liberals go back to sleep for the next four years. I think it might be better. They just make everything worse. Uh, just go go and take a four year so nap. I think it I think that we might be better off if they just stay out. <laughs> Maybe. I you know, you know, like the um I think this is hugely condescending and I come to realize this more under under Trump. Uh you know how people talk about um like the quote under under educate the under informed Republican voter. Right, <laughs> uh, saying like th- that base low is being information, groomed. low information. Yeah, um, it, that they're being groomed to vote uh, against their self interest. I think this is the, this is what it looks like. Uh, Nobody on has the their self interest. 
I mean, no, nobody yeah, has that's their a, interest That's a great in point. Money. You're, you're, you're um, giving up your material gains for feel goods. Uh, hey, Kamala Harris looks like my baby, or or some shit like that. Yeah, you're just going to say, I want, I want, I want a stable living. But so, like, but then, like, what's being told to me then is by by focusing on material outcomes, I'm actually being racist. So if I'm supposed to be a good Democrat voter, I'm supposed to ignore that. I'm supposed to ignore the common good in order in service of this higher value that serve that doesn't serve me. Yeah. Ignoring the common good. We, you know, that used to get classified as a very stereotypical, like Milton Friedman, right wing thing. But it's just I I was just thinking, I mean, we watch Joker. I don't think we'll get around to talking about it, maybe in a later episode. But, you know, the way that like Thomas Wayne and his acolytes are just so disdainful of uh, other people who are, you know, struggling in the city. And when I saw the Biden celebrations last night, I was thinking, how many of these people now that so uh, America's soul has apparently been purified? Uh, if anybody continues to complain, especially uh, from the center to the to the left, they're going to have that same attitude. Like, what you're bitching about? You know, Trump's out of office. Uh, we, we've got we've got Biden and Queen Kamala. Uh, what what more do you want? You know, you're not owed anything. Um, and that rhetoric, which I saw a lot. In Joker, like re- negative reviews, which I think was more to just like uh, sentiment of like male entitlement to, to whatever. But that that idea you aren't owed anything is it's such a right wing thing that we used to accuse people of. It's the core foundation of a lot of leftist ideology. You are owed healthcare. You are owed uh, a living mm-hmm. wage, whatever. Mm-hmm. But but to mm-hmm. see this idea, you aren't owed anything, and, and your that politicians thrown, don't owe you anything. It's like they absolutely do. Yeah. That's why they ran. Right, and and now this being thrown at, they are at your, your neighbors, to be fellow to us, Americans, not the other way around. Yeah, so I, yeah. I just wondering how much of that we're gonna see now because I think Trump let this uh, every everyone kind of feel like they're on the same side, the whole resistance, whatever. But now that Biden's in the office, and now a lot of people like a Joy Ann Reed and and types are now very invested in keeping uh, Biden Harris a success story. Um, how many of them are now gonna turn on on you know? majority of Americans. Oh, it's already happening. It's already happening because I see it already. People who were obviously not Trumpers for the past four years are, are now being seen as reactionaries and like part of the problem. And there's so much, there's so much shaming, you know, uh, the identity politics thing I think is going to, I was really hopeful that, um, especially after I read the Wall Street, the Wall, uh, Washington Post, was it Wall Street Journal or Washington Post? Wall Street Journal. After I read that article <laughs> when Philip posted it, yeah, I thought that there really would be a backlash against wokeness in the Biden era because nobody was better for identity politics or wokeness than Trump. And I think it really overreached in the Trump era as like an overcorrection and that people are sick of it. And like nobody wants outrage after outrage after outrage. Um, but I I could be wrong, but I really do think, judging by what I've seen this whole weekend online and on TV and the messaging that we got from their acceptance speeches, that we're going to get an even worse version of wokeness. Like It could evolve into something more annoying and intrusive because now it's like it's not just people online doing the whole outrage thing. It is like the state itself has invested in wokeness and identity politics. Um, and they are going to use it. They're going to weaponize it. So it's like, it's not just going to be a bunch of random faceless outrage woke mobs chasing people online. It's going to be the state itself. Maybe the word itself will go away woke, but like, I really, I really think that like, I really, you know, I I really evolved on this issue because I bought into it at first because I thought it was going to be all people of color standing in solidarity against white supremacy, but it's not how it worked out. And I thought it had to do with socialism getting traction among leftists in America. Like identity of politics was originally about a concern for the collective and a move away from individualism. But again, it turned into, it, it didn't work out that way. It turned into a perverted version where it's still rooted in individuality. But now you have to add like, victimhood as a virtue to everything so now instead of being um a concern for the collective it's like a it's like a status symbol it's a it's requirement like like a credential for cultural capital 
It's a beauty pageant for exceptional, the exceptional individual. Mm-hmm. A job, a, Trevor from Champagne Shark calls it a job fair, and that's exactly what it turned <laughs> out to be. But we're just a substrate. Uh, we're just the uh, the, ma- the faceless talent pool that some exceptional characters are selected out of. We don't do the selecting, really. Mm-hmm. They are selected for us, and then they come to represent us all. Uh, and really, it's just, it, it it's self-aggrandizing for them. I mean, did you guys know that Kamala Harris's uh, brother-in-law and and cousin or sister maybe uh, work for Uber? Mm. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's those ties go deep, and Uber just won a giant victory in California by mm-hmm. uh, with Prop Twenty Two, uh, where gig uh, gig workers are exempt from employee protection. But you can't tell That's me right. this isn't all this isn't all interconnected. Uh, this video... isn't a win. One clip I saw yesterday in New York was uh, like a celebration video was uh, a motorcade of gig workers like honking and cheering, right? Not really knowing <laughs> is what, so what is, yeah, not knowing what's ahead so of them. Perverse. Yeah. yeah. And this is going to keep spreading more and more people. I, I think there's a, like a, the Matt Iglesias perspective on this where it's like, um, I'm doing fine. I can see some other people are struggling. So maybe we should care, but really things are okay. Uh, I think the circle of protection for, um, for white collar liberals that will start to shrink more and more. Mm-hmm. It'll be more and more precarious to stay middle-class and stay smug. Uh, that's going to create a neurotic mm-hmm. hyperdrive for this kind of aspiration, aspirationalism that we see in like the intense, um, like the intense talent sh- competitions for like identity politics grifting. Uh, like competition <laughs> is fierce. People are out trying to outdo themselves on how much they can trash their quote so-called community to get, score that speaking gig on MSNBC or some shit. But what kind of control? Like, what kind of control do you have that on an individual level, right? Because if you're tons. saying that Idaho, a lot of it is, I, I think well, that there's actually if, tons of control. Maybe we're understanding differently because I'm just thinking, like, okay, we said like plus one point if you're a person of color, plus one point if you're a woman, plus one point if you're LGBT, right? You don't I have control you over could, that, I right? I guess you like, could change it in some ways by saying like you could you could claim to be like gender fluid or something. I guess. Wait, yeah. uh, Philip, are you asking like, is it possible to opt out and and create your own like system or something? No, I'm saying like, if you're, you know, if you are, if you are like a straight white male, you don't have any. Okay, here we go. How about this? Gain power what about system? the people that claim identity through proxy? You know how so? Uh, I so like, like I'm married a rich, to a, a blah, rich blah, blah, white blah. guy can say I am the great grandson of like Holocaust survivors. Oh, okay. I am the yeah. daughter of immigrants, something like that. I am, you know, mm-hmm. as as someone whose brother is gay, <laughs> it's there's yeah. there's a whole there's a whole like tons of people are suddenly claiming identity through proxy like that. Wait, wait, wait uh, one question: what, Is that real? The thing that uh, said uh, Joe Biden is the first English major in the White House? Yes. Or was that was that a, a prank? I I, like, I, I, I can go either way I can that. find the tweet for you. It is real. Yeah. Oh my god, they're really scraping the bottom of the barrel there. Yeah, I saw the one. Um, like, I think I saw it from from your Twitter feed. Uh, Jill Biden is the first Italian American president, <laughs> or by, oh, like first, first lady. second lady, <laughs> second lady. I guess I like. You are what? really like you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel there, aren't you? Like it Also that title, second lady, just sounds so weird, like second wife or something like that. Doesn't it doesn't it just I don't I wouldn't want to be called like second second like lady. That's I, don't, I don't know second what the lady um, I don't know what the word is. Is it really second lady elect? Or second it's lady? Second lady. <laughs> it sounds like a concubine. What? Exactly. Yeah. I don't. It sounds so bad. I don't want. I, that's probably yeah. why nobody actually like calls anyone that because it. it does Just not say you're the vice flattered. president's wife, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is vice president. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like, like Italian American. Seriously, we're still we're, we're still trotting that one out. Sylvia Dante would be very proud. I tweeted. Yeah. So I think I mean the <laughs> old iteration that everyone's familiar with is you know uh, I have a black friend. I think that was. Mm-hmm. I think what Eliza's pointing out is that has permutated now. It's it's it the the math has gotten complex on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone everyone's a piece of to, piece of the pie. Yeah, and it's all it's all materialistic. But we're trying very hard to not look at that. Like all these, uh, like uh, like I follow um, like I follow a lot of beauty accounts on Instagram, uh, stuff like that, and then. I saw all of all of them uh, suddenly reaching out to partner with a black. Uh, oh, that was uh, so bad. Know, a black influencer or a mm-hmm. black 
like uh, like a black owned beauty brand. And mind you, I support all of that. I I bought from those brands. I support that completely. But it's 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 just upsetting that we're not supposed to see that. We're supposed to pretend it's something else. We're, this is literally like very big companies uh, trying to trying to spread some money around to launder their own PR to boost their to capitalize on a on a thing that American consumers are are invested in at the moment and to launder their own PR. Uh, like Sephora was really big on this uh, over the summer. But they were, but they were absolute dirtbags earlier in the pandemic, where they were basically just firing people unexpectedly on Zoom. Um, and it was even more egregious because Sephora had a program where, uh, like, uh, if you worked there, um, you could, if you paid for, if you went and got like an esthetician's license or some kind of certificate to be a makeup artist or something, that Sephora would guarantee that, that they would pay you back for that. And give you a raise and, and give you an established place in the company. So people actually went into debt to capitalize on this and then they were just terminated. Right? Uh, like Sephora hires a, they, they'd like to talk about how much, uh, POC representation they have. So, you know, when, when all these people got fired on Zoom, you're firing a ton of black and brown artists too. But then you come back a month later to talk about how you've partnered with these indie black owned brands. Right, uh, who are who are going to individually get rich off your off drafting off of Sephora's uh, you know uh, momentum, tra- right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's an LVMH company, so this is a huge. This is part. This is tapped into a huge exploitative uh, industry, a conglomerate. Um. So yeah, we should wrap up soon. So you know, if anyone's got like final thoughts, we should share it. Uh, I was going to say, uh, like social justice by its nature should be upsetting, should piss people off. It should be like transgressive when it can be so easily, uh, be co-opted into like a corporate campaign, you know, that is not the, the way to go. So it's, it's I mean, supposed it would, to be about people the think they're being so radical good. yet. It's not supposed to be about your own personal feelings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think th- those who make it about the personal things are betraying just just how well off they are that they don't, you know, what's like an extra dollar to them? Not as not as much, but so so they want they want the uh, you know, they they want their emotional uh fulfillment from, you know, oh, I, you know, I was bullied when I was like in, you know, 6th grade because of color of my skin or, or you know, my hair. That's what matters to me. Like, you know what? I already make enough money. If give me an extra like 5,000 tax breaks, I'll I like it, but I don't need it. I'd rather have the uh kind of like emotional almost like revenge uh on on their old tormentors that's what they really care about yeah i would actually take it a step further and say like just to jess's earlier point about like money being involved here it's not just their own personal feelings but also their personal benefit like financial or social benefit as well yeah you can combine the two even better right Mm -hmm. yeah i mean if we take the premise that america is a capitalist country and i think we are very deeply to the core then i don't know you can evaluate what we do on capitalist values then uh, we pretend that it doesn't exist somehow when we want to talk about when we want to launder ideology. But I think lo- ideology launders that uh, material self-interest that gets played out over and over again. Um, so I, I think that's going to be a real challenge in the next uh, in the next four years to be able to properly identify uh, how power works, how power and influence works. It's going to be really tempting to not do that. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's, it's things like, um, like, okay, let's, let's go for a, 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 a maybe a, a controversial example, like Black Lives Matter. There's the movement and there's the corporation. Uh, thanks to, thanks to, uh, you know, um, they were started, you know, post Ferguson, um, back in the Obama years, by the way. Um, and they got turbocharged this year. I think they're sitting on something like a $300 million, uh, like, uh, bank account. Thanks to everyone's donations. Yeah, the uh, BTS that, uh, donation. Yeah. Yeah, I could be wrong about the numbers. I don't want to. I don't want to oversell in this lead. But it's a lot of money, and I think that intuitively makes sense to all of us, uh, given the year that we've had uh, in North America. They, they're sitting on a lot of money. I, uh, I've seen people try to ask for accountability from Black Lives Matter, the, the organization, like Sean King, some of the leadership there. Could you please publish how you're using this money? Because now we're seeing more ways of social unrest. I don't see any of you guys putting up bail funds. You guys are always fundraising, but you're never dishing it out. You're not healthy. You're not, you're not putting that money to work. Can you please uh, show us some accountability? And they basically fell back on how dare you racist criticize 
Black, Black Lives Matter. Just why don't just just go just go vote for Trump and leave. Uh, it's like, well, no, I think we have the right to do that. Um, yeah, I this kind of demanding it's, it's, it's of accountability and the pushback just for simply asking for some kind of accountability is going to be met with like. Um, extreme language. They're going to be called like a Nazi. You're going to be called like the actual fascist. They'll be called a racist. And like the message, to, to, it's going to be constantly reinforced by academia, media, celebrities, the state. And all of that together just makes it like cool and credible. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to be part of the cool kids club, you're just going to have to fall in line. And I get why they reinforce um, it. They, a lot of people are just forced into this, even if they don't personally believe in it. Because if they don't, yeah. you're just going to get fired. Yeah. You know, and everyone everyone suddenly has it. to be like some sort of moral guardian. Yeah. Everyone has to be aware and woke and informed. Uh, there's no room for, there's no room for questioning or accountability. Anti-woke um, is the new enlightened. Sorry. That's, that's, yeah. that's my feeling. Yeah, and a lot of people, I think it's sad that a lot of people with good intentions get pulled into it, too. Um, we attribute intent or ill intent to a lot of people, but I think a lot of it is, is a lot of it, we don't give enough credit for people who fundamentally just are, are, their hearts are in the right place, but there is just louder and more heated people uh, looking to capitalize on that. And they suck up all the air in the room. Oh, I'm going to call you guys out a little bit. How did it take you this long to watch Joker? <laughs> I was wondering the same thing. I I was uh, I was wondering the same thing. Why? How it was possible that Chris and Philip had not seen Joker yet? I just found the whole like battle about it, which is clearly not really about the movie. It was about you know people and their own like enemies, real or imagined. So, and I I I don't really. I've already seen too many Batman niche movies anyway. So, but this doesn't even fit. Like, it was like the anti comic book comic book movie yeah but then they said that about the dark knight and everything so it was like whatever uh so then i, I did this as homework but you know i like the movie um I, I just think the the outrage over it was so misplaced and i'm guessing part of it was a reaction to trump but i'm just like i don't get what the controversy of, about this movie was watching it i know, saw the movie like four times in the theater when it came out last year <laughs> yeah, you took those uh, pictures mm-hmm. in the the Bronx Steps as well. Remember? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. thanks to uh, thanks to uh, Jess and Millie, we all did that together. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. That was, that was super fun. Um, <laughs> I, I I had uh, I had no excuse because you think about it, I'm pretty pretty like interested and in tune with like you know the reaction to like the alt right over the last four years, incel culture, like shitty white men. That's like a big topic for me. And but somehow like maybe it was the same thing with Chris, where all the critique just made it tiresome. I didn't want to watch it. But I, I enjoyed yeah. it. It was good. We should do a separate full episode on it. I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing you guys talk about Joker because it's, it's <laughs> like seriously one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, really. Yeah, okay. I think seen it like five times. Oh wow! Damn. Well, we got we got to yeah. do it for for Jess then and mm-hmm. and Liza yeah. too. It's two fans of the movie. Yeah. Okay, I, I think. Okay, so I think that brings us to the end of this episode. I mean, I think we could go on for hours on this, but we will definitely revisit this topic. I mean, this. I think we learned a lot uh, for good and for ill from this election. So it'll give us plenty to talk about. So listeners, thank you for joining us. Jess, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Jess. I know you're going to be back uh, very soon. So this is Chris, Liza, Philip, and our guest Jess signing off. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.